The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. So 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. The assurance of overcoming the world. <clears throat> the assurance of overcoming the world. Now again, our last two weeks in 1 John we spoke about the assurance of God's love. And that's a big deal. We can talk about the theology in salvation. We can explain what the word redemption means. What does the atonement mean? Right? We can talk about the theology, but when we talk about the d devotion, the action, the outworking of God's love, then this is what John has told us. Number one, that love is from God. Number two, that love is revealed in Jesus. Thirdly, love is the Christian's duty. In other words, it's our job to love. When a Christian is not loving, we're not doing our job. Number four, love is embedded to us through the Holy Spirit. God's love is embedded to us through the Holy Spirit. Fifthly, we saw that love gives us the confidence to stand before Christ when judgment day comes. You know, we should, by default, be trembling the day of Christ's arrival. By default, we should fear that day. It should be dreadful to us. But because we stand in the love of Christ, we cannot wait for Judgment Day. It cannot come any sooner. Amen? Finally, we saw that love is commanded to every Christian. So not only is it your work, your job, your duty, you are commanded to love. But... We've seen all these assurances, as I've said. And in the beginning, we saw there were a few negative assurances John kind of mentions to us because it's something we need to deal with. And part of those negative assurances was that the Antichrists aren't only coming, they were there. The Antichrists were in the church. My dear friends, I look around in this room and by God's grace, as I know you, I want to stand here and say, there are no antichrists among us, here and now. I say that by the grace of God. But the antichrists are there. They exist. So that's the one negative John assures us. He says, looking at your salvation, looking at the outworking of God's love and the assurance of salvation... Beware of antichrists. Not only that, another negative was this. That Satan, that sin, that darkness needs to be overcome. And so the assurance we see is that in Christ we overcome temptation. We overcome the evil one. So this morning, as I say, we get to reflect again on a negative. And that is the world. 
the world we live in now. Creation belongs to God. Do not be mistaken. I, I get it can be confusing to talk about how the world belongs to Satan. But then we sing the hymn, This is my Father's world. Yeah, this is His possession. But right now, Satan rules the system of this world. If you want to disagree, my dear friends, you haven't spent enough time on social media. And then I'm thankful for that because I don't think you should spend any more time than that on social media. But that's the reflection of where the world is, where the world is going. So John wants every true believer to know that they are a child of God, that there are spiritual deceivers out there. They will raise questions. They will cause doubts. When you are excited and confident in the faith that you have, so much so that you ignorantly welcome the Jehovah's Witnesses knocking on your door and they come into your living room and they question your belief so much so that once they leave, you are no longer sure of your salvation. Do not be shocked by this. Do not be appalled by this. Because that's what's happening. That's the fact of these things. And so John writes that we won't be doubtful. That we won't be unsure. In fact, John writes so that we as believers would a, have a rock-solid assurance that we have been indeed born again. We have been saved. It's a tragedy that we have to use this language and say, I am a born-again Christian. What, what is that? That's a Christian. A Christian is born again. Why do we have to specify it? Because of the world. Because of just how we have been deceived. And so when, as I read these verses, these verses are a mirror for you to look into today. Reflect upon the words as we read them, as you hear them. This is what the child of God should look like. I mean, you've heard the statements like father like son, like, father, like, son, like mother like daughter, right? Maybe you've even heard he's just like his dad or she is just like her mother. They'll look at appearances and say, man, this baby is the imprint of her mother. So alike. These verses are for the Christian the same. Just as we bear some resemblance, or at times a striking resemblance to our parents, the Christian should strike a resemblance to these verses. These are birthmarks that give evidence that we are God's children. And we'll look at three of these evidences and I'll read for us and I'll pray for us everyone who believes so that's you that's me everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of God 
By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commands. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and we are His. Apologies. Verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Our Father in heaven this day, we acknowledge your goodness. We acknowledge the work that you continually do in our lives. And so, as we look at these verses, we pray that you would convict us when we don't look like your son Jesus. But that you would also encourage us and as the Spirit works in our heart to conform more and more like Jesus. So Father, we ask this in your Son's name. Amen. My dear friends, the first evidence that tells us you are a child of God is that you believe Jesus is the Messiah. You believe that Jesus is the Messiah. It's so simple. It's that first phrase. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Are you with me? As simple as that. Now, true Christianity will always come back to Christ. Always. If Christ is not there, it is not Christianity. We believe Him. We believe upon Him. We call on Him. And guess what? This is how we know it's different than that of the world. The world rejects Christ. The world rejects the truth about Christ. Here's an example. Recently, there was a slap in Hollywood. So loud, the whole world heard it. And then another actor went to this actor, encouraged him, spoke a little bit about God and these things. And now all of a sudden, Christianity is being praised. But it's a style of Christianity. A style of Christianity where the famous say, oh, this is who I am, not who I believe. Not who I worship. Not who I serve. But hey, I'm a Christian. Do you love Jesus? Who's that? Who's Jesus? I don't do those things. I don't believe these things. I'm just a Christian. That is not Christianity. In the word Christianity, you have Christ. It literally means someone who follows Christ. Now, this isn't just a 21st century problem. This had been a problem in Jesus' day on earth. The Jews rejected His identity. The early church councils... This is after Christ had ascended. This is after the apostles had been murdered. Church councils would regularly meet again and again to debate the reality of Christ. Is He truly man? Is He truly God? Is it man possessed by spirit? Yada, yada, yada. Since the first century, 
people have rejected the truth about Christ. Today, you can go to Israel and evangelize to a Jew, showing them from Isaiah 53, because they deny the New Testament, by the way, showing them from Isaiah 53 that the Christ has come. They reject it. Their Messiah must still come. He must still make an appearance. Their Messiah is not Jesus, the Son of God. This is what Peter confessed in Matthew 16, verse 16. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. We cannot divide that. You cannot say Jesus is Messiah, but He's not Son of God. Then He's not the Messiah. You cannot say Jesus is the Son of God, but not the Messiah. The Messiah is the Son of God. Messiah means anointed one. The anointed one is God's Son. God's Son is Jesus, the Christ. Are you with me? That's the first evidence. If you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, you are a child of God. Look at the word believe. It talks about continuous action. You are believing. It means you didn't make a once-off confession. You didn't go to youth camp and say, Oh, I believe. And that was it. No, no. This says you are still believing. You wake up every day believing this. You go to bed every night believing that Jesus is the Messiah. It's continuous. One commentator said, The assurance of my salvation comes not from the fact that I trust Christ, but that I am trusting Christ for my salvation. I didn't trust Him to save me. I am trusting Him to save me. It's continuous. Now, the question is, what must we believe? We must believe, John says, that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the truth. That's what we need to trust. It's capital T truth. Not your truth. Not my truth. The truth. God's truth. When we confess Jesus is Messiah, we are saying by default, I am born of God. I'm God's child. Just listen to the statement again. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, that person is born again. You are made alive in this. Now, I want to clarify because you may sit here and think, but I've said that. I believe the statement. It's not believing the doctrine, nor the opinion, nor a formula. It's believing a person. And that person is Jesus. When you say, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, you are trusting Jesus. What's meant by Jesus is the Christ? What does it mean? Jesus is the Christ. 
What does it mean to say Jesus is the Messiah? Number one, Scripture talks about Jesus as the prophet. Secondly, Scripture talks about Jesus as the priest. And thirdly, that He is the King. But of what is Jesus prophet, priest, and king? The church. He is prophet, priest, and king of the church. This is what makes Him the Christ. Christ is not His second name. Christ is His title. He is the anointed one from God for the church. My question is, do you believe that He is? Do you believe that He is what He says He is? What Scripture says what He is? What the prophets in the Old Testament said He is? What the apostles in the New Testament says He is? What the church 2,000 years later says He is? Do you believe? I want to do a quiz. I see there's new kids in Sunday school. I'm thankful. So Sunday school, listen up. It's going to be a test next Sunday. Bafdile, take notes. Quiz. And it's very simple, so it's easy. Do you believe that Jesus is the great prophet anointed of God to reveal the way of salvation to you? Do you believe that? Do you accept Jesus as your teacher and admit that He has the words of life? If you believe this, then you possess eternal life. Now, as priest, Jesus also offered sacrifice. That sacrifice was Himself. So I ask, do you firmly believe that Jesus was ordained to offer His one-time sacrifice for the sins of man? Do you believe that? Do you believe that He has finished atonement and has made complete reconciliation? Do you believe that? If you believe these things, if you trust that through Jesus you have the way of forgiveness for all your sin, that you have that the way to the Father has been secured in Him, my dear friends, then you are born again. You agree with these things. If you believe these things, you are born again. So let me practically ask you, do you have a desire to submit yourself to God's commands? Do you have a desire to do that? Do you hate what God hates? Do you love what God loves? Do you live to praise Him? Friends, if you can say, I accept Jesus to be the prophet, priest, and king to me because God has anointed Him, because God has sent Him so that I won't be condemned but be saved, then you are born again. My dear friends, this is how you overcome the world. You overcome the world by 
throwing yourself on Christ, trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. And He can only be the Messiah if that's true. So do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Secondly, to look back in the mirror, to make sure that you are a child of God, you will love and obey God. You will love and obey God. That's easier said than done, isn't it? Look at our verses. Verse 1. That second part. It says, And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. So I say it's easier said than done. We say, I love God. The question is, do we obey Him? Do we honor His word? Do we follow God's instruction? See, without love for God, even the good things that, that we do, they have no value in His eyes. When people say outside of God, hey, I'm a good person, I think I'll go to heaven. I hate to break it to you, but you're not. You are not. Isaiah says that our good deeds are like filthy rags. That should scare us. I mean, yeah, but it's a good thing to feed people. Do you love God? No, I don't love God. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have value. Therefore, love and obedience go hand in hand. If you don't love God, but you do good things, you give to charity, you make an effort, you're out there, you're involved, the community knows you, hallelujah. It's legalism. When you do good things outside of God, it's just legalism. It's just, I do good things. Yeah. Criminals in prison do good things. In God, these good things have value. They bear the weight of eternity. These are gifts that will not be burnt up in judgment. These are gifts for which we will be rewarded when Christ returns. So it brings us to our new relationship with the Father. The Father first loved us, right? That's what James says. We looked at this. Uh, John says, the Father first loved us. And because He first loved us, we now love Him. And we love what He has done for us in Christ. And now the evidence of this love is seen how when we love our brothers and sisters that's how we can see that's how we can show that we love God John says we can know that we love God's children when we love God and obey his commandments so when I love God I will keep his commandments furthermore verse 3 look at verse 3 it tells us that obeying the commandment to love one another is not burdensome. 
It should be a joy, a delight to serve those around you. Being born again means it is now natural to love those around me. If you say, I struggle to love those around me, as a born again believer, my dear friend, my brother, my sister, you need to go before the cross and repent. Because God's word says, if you truly stand in this love, then this is not a burden. This is not a burden. It's now natural because you are new and this is new. And so our love for God should inspire us. It should motivate us to love those whom He loves. More so to love them as He loves them. Practically, because my love for God guides my love for others, then I will seek their ultimate good. What are you doing to help those around you become better, do better, love better, serve better? You see, we live in a world, we live in a society where it's all about individualism. It's about me and me succeeding, me prospering, my kids rising to the top. My career. That's not how we love one another. That's not how God loves us. You see, we may clothe, educate, and feed those around us, and they're good things, but if we are not striving above these things, to help people come to know, love, and trust Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, then we're not serving them. I can give you food. Man, I can invite you over and we can have some of the best coffee. But if I fail to talk to you about the importance of your life, your eternal life, and how in Christ your eternal life can be made secure. I am failing you. I am not loving you. I am not serving you. He said, but yeah, that's the preacher's responsibility. No, that's the Christian's privilege. Every believer should be out there making disciples. That's the work of the church. Not the leaders, the church collectively, me, you, all of us. And John says, guess what? It shouldn't be burdensome. All right. You sit there and you say, but you don't, you don't know my colleague. You don't know my family. You don't know who I deal with on a daily basis. You don't know what kind of work I'm involved in. If our love and obedience for God grows cold, then we will harm ourselves. And that's exactly what happens when we start to make excuses for not truly loving those around us. We are growing cold towards God who has first loved us. 
You say, but so and so is my enemy. Listen, Christ died for you while you were his enemy. Spurgeon said, I love this, Spurgeon said, to paraphrase, be careful how you treat someone today because tomorrow they might be your brother. You get that? How you treat someone now, how you witness to them, how you love them, that could be what leads them to salvation. Be careful how you treat someone today. Tomorrow they might be a brother or a sister, whichever. But if we don't love and obey God, man, our, our devotion to God grows cold. It grows cold. We will harm our brothers and sisters. We will harm the church. And once this damage is done, we are dragging God's people spiritually. We're dragging them down. We're not loving them, caring for them, serving them. We're burdening them. And so, yes, you're right. Some people purposefully make life difficult. But when you look at your love and devotion to God, loving that person no longer becomes a burden. That's what John says. That's the evidence that you're born again. You don't look at the person or the situation. You look at God. You love God. You obey God. And in turn, serve this person. Love this person. You see, because loving God is not just external. Our obedience isn't just outward. Our love and obedience comes from our hearts. It comes from the inner man. This is not a, I have to obey God, so I will talk to you about these things. This is, I want to obey God, so please let me talk to you about these things. Friends, if this is your devotion, then all of a sudden, the Psalms you want to read, that don't change your heart, they will change. You'll, you'll start to read Psalm 34 verse 7. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you your heart's desires. You read that and you go, yeah, give me the desires of my heart. No, no, no. It says, take delight in the Lord. When you love God and obey God, you will start to see what it means, what it looks like to delight in Him. What does it mean to delight? What does it mean to delight? It means to take part in, to enjoy, to have pleasure with, to delight in the Lord. Psalm 112 verse 1, Happy is the man who fears the Lord, taking great delight in His commands. Wow. Even His commands? Yes. Not just his being, but what he has said. Psalm 119 verse 47. I delight in your commands, which I love. Do you love God's commands? Do you love the command when God says, love your enemy? Do you love God's command when husband, wife, God says, love each other, serve each other? Do you love God's command, parents, when Scripture says, do not exasperate your children? It's good for us to look at these things and reflect. And so, 
the test of true love for God's children is how we love and obey God. We show our love for God by loving His commandments, by keeping His commandments. If you, if you say you love God, but you live in sin, that's deception. That's deception. That's not overcoming the world. That's joining the world. That's remaining in the world. You've got one foot in the world, one foot in the church. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You will give in to one. And here's the sad thing. Our hearts naturally want that which we can gratify. So we will almost always take our foot out of the church and land with both feet in the world. My dear friends, look in the mirror. Number three. In order to overcome the world, you need to trust in Christ's victory. If you want to overcome the world, verse 4, this is what it says. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? I love this. This is like warfare language. This is conquer, victory. These words come from the same Greek word, Nikkei, which we get the word Nike from. Everyone knows Nike. Maybe many of us sitting here desire to own a pair of Nikes at some point. But the, Greek, the Greeks loved this word, Nikkei. They actually had a goddess by this name. This was the goddess of victory, the goddess of triumph. And so the Greeks believed that victory cannot be achieved by man. You can't go into battle and, and, and claim victory without the victorious goddess. Only the gods could allow victory. Only the gods were ultimately unconquerable. So you had to have the gods on your side if you were going to go in battle. Here's the thing. We believe that the one who has been born of God conquers the world, overcomes the world. You see, overcoming the world is how? Through our faith. Look at, just look at verse 4. John says, Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. Listen. I want to explain this clearly because I think some of us might have a difference of understanding when we talk about our faith. Many say, yeah, but your faith must increase. You must believe more. You must... Faith comes from God. Let's clarify that. Scripture is so clear. Faith doesn't come from within. It doesn't come from us. Faith comes from God. It's a God-given gift. So what John does in these verses, allow me to explain, is to unite our new birth, which is the sovereign work of God, right? God saves us. He unites the new birth with our faith, which in this context 
is human responsibility. So, by the means of our new birth, which is united to our faith in Jesus, the power of the world's desires is broken and we gain victory over them. Because we trust in Christ, believe on Christ, we no longer desire what the world offers. We want to now serve God. I want to put it this way. Overcomers of the world are not consumed by what we don't have and by what we have. We become consumed by God's love. We become serious about God's love. We want to study it. We want to see it. We want to experience it. We want to share it. John Piper says, Faith sees that Jesus is better. That is why faith conquers the world. The world has held us in bondage by its power of its desire. But now our eyes have been opened by the new birth to see the superior desirability of Jesus. Friends, because you have believed on Him, because you can now see Him, you want more of Him. You don't want to be attached to the world. Listen, go back to John, 1 John 2, verse um, 15. John says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of God is not in him. So don't love the world. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, these are not from the Father, but they are from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. It's so important. How does the world have a foothold over us? How does the world appeal to us? It appeals to our senses. It appeals to our senses. We look at something and we like that something, isn't it? And so the more the world advertises this thing, the more we want it. The more we want to give in to it. That's the lust of the eyes. We look and we want. The pride of life, that is literally to live in a way of your comfort style. It's to say, I only wear these clothes. I only drive these vehicles. I only buy these kind of houses. That's the pride of life. That's an issue, John says. You're worshipping a lifestyle and not the Creator. When, you, when, the, when the lust of the eyes appeal to you, when the lust of the flesh appeal to you, you are worshipping that which is created and not the Creator. Listen, if you take five minutes, you can go learn about advertising tactics. And that's literally what the world does. It appeals to that which it knows has a long desire for. It appeals to your eyes. It appeals to your appetite. Whether that appetite is physical, emotional. If you disagree, I want to just say this. If that is not true, then how come pornography is what sells in the world? 
How come it's such a big issue and it's destroying homes? It has people literally addicted to it, clinging on to it because it appeals to these senses. John says, this is how you know you're a Christian. This is how you know. It's through overcoming by believing. Listen, faith in faith, that's just positive thinking. Right? You'll hear a lot of people say, I'm, on, you know, I'm just positive thinking, think good vibes. That's a mystical faith. Faith in Jesus is salvation. Don't think good thoughts. Don't think happy thoughts. Because they're going to pass away. Think upon Jesus, who is eternal. Who has literally died to save your life. Look at verse 5. John says, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one that does what? Believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God understand that our faith is a commitment. And this commitment is how we obtain victory. It's how we overcome the world. Again, Son of God is so important. It's an important title for Jesus. Son of God tells us that He is more than a man. That He is God. He is the God-man. That Christ bears both the nature of humanity, but also the nature of God. That is why He is the Son of God. My dear friends, Jesus has always existed. It's hard to understand because it goes above what we can comprehend. Jesus has always existed. Begotten, not made. Begotten, not created. Christ has always existed within the Trinity. He has always been the second person of the Trinity. Revelation tells us that before creation, Christ was already sacrificed for our sins. Do you fathom that? The Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. That's plan A. It always has been. God didn't make a mistake. He didn't, oh, Adam and Eve, you weren't supposed to do that. I didn't see that coming. Let's make a plan. No, the plan was the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, will die. That is huge, my dear friends. John says, hey, you want to overcome the world, believe Jesus is the Son of God. Trust that this is the faith that overcomes the world. Jesus and only Jesus is the object of this faith confession. We say, I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian. Is that the statement or is that the reality? Do you believe the person, Jesus? I already said it. Believing is continuous. Not, oh, I did this once. It's a personal belief. It's an individual belief. I believe this. He's the Messiah. 
He's the Son of God. He's the Liberator. He's the Savior. And so friends, the good news is this. You must trust Jesus Christ is the Son of God for yourself. No one can trust this on your behalf. Parents, listen, having become a parent, I can understand in a sense. Parents have children growing up in front of their eyes and their prayer is, Jesus, please save this child that they may know you, that they may grow up in your ways. I believe that should be every parent's heart, but I'm talking to Christian parents. But listen, as hard as this may sound, you can't believe on behalf of your children. Your children must believe. So don't stop praying. Don't stop trusting. And so here's the, here's the thing. John 3.36 The one who believes in the Son has eternal life. But the one who refuses to believe in the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on Him. You see, overcoming the world is by believing Jesus is the Christ. It's through continually loving and obeying our God. He's your God. If, you, if this is you, if you're born again, He is your God. He's not the God of CBC or the God of my pastor. He is your personal Father. More so. When we overcome the world, it's through trusting that our victory is in Christ's victory. That's the good news. That Jesus is all these things and more. Jesus doesn't want to just condemn us. The fact is, He experienced condemnation on our behalf when He died for your sin. So Jesus does want our hearts to change. Jesus does want us to delight in the Father. He wants us to be filled with faith that we can overcome the obstacles and trials the world put in our way. He wants us to have the assurance that we are already overcoming the world. So here's the assurance. Friends, know that you are a child of God. As you look at the words in these verses, trust that this is you. And this is what John says. You are already overcoming the world. It's already being done. Let's give thanks. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we get to be victorious in you alone. That we get to be clothed in your righteousness as we call upon you. As we entrust ourselves to you. As we submit our lives to you. And so Christ, as this is our prayer, help us to understand these truths and to meditate on them this week. Now we give thanks in your goodness and in your love. We ask it in your name. Amen.